Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about why coffee tastes bad when you reheat it and how researchers found the oldest ancestor of most living animals, including humans. You'll also learn why the word null causes so many problems for computer programmers in our final edition of Monday Math Mishaps with Matt Parker. Let's satisfy some curiosity. When your morning coffee gets cold, your instinct might be to pop it in the microwave. But reheated coffee usually tastes terrible. And you're about to learn why. It turns out that the process of reheating and cooling messes with the chemical compounds that give coffee its taste. Coffee gets its flavor and aroma from around a thousand different chemical compounds. A lot of these compounds tend to vaporize at high heat. So if you expose your morning brew to the high temperatures of a microwave you'll likely lose some of the compounds that make coffee taste and smell good. But your hours-old coffee may have been ruined before it entered the microwave. Coffee's flavor can also go off as the hot liquid turns cold. The cooling process causes some of those compounds to break down. The oils in your coffee oxidize and turn the cup sour or stale, and acids might degrade and bring out a bitter taste. And the hotter the original cup of coffee, the faster it'll turn bitter. But what if you really need to save what's left in your forgotten cup? Well, in that case, your best bet is to heat it up on the stove over low heat. Remember how I said that the hotter your original brew, the faster it'll turn bitter? That's partly because higher temperatures accelerate chemical reactions. If you warm your coffee low and slow, it may help preserve whatever flavorful compounds are left. Still, at any temperature, reheating coffee is a gamble especially if the coffee you're reheating has milk or sugar in it. There's a medley of other compounds mingling in your cup, and adding heat is bound to cause a reaction. Next time your coffee goes cold, you might just want to brew a new pot. Or if you're like me, you could pick up a pour-over dripper and then make one cup at a time, straight into the cup. It's the best. Nice. Scientists may have just found the oldest ancestor of most living animals, including humans. But if you're hoping for a family resemblance, you're out of luck. This ancestor is a little worm-like creature about the size of a grain of rice. Its name is Icaria wariodia, and it lived 555 million years ago in present-day Australia. Compared to the organisms that came before, this little guy is pretty impressive. Millions of years earlier, single cells had begun clumping together and forming colonies which, over time, evolved into simple bodies. These earliest animals are collectively known as the Ediacaran biota, and they staked their claim on Earth around 571 million years ago. And as simple as they were, these creatures were really diverse and pretty strange to modern eyes. Like, sponges and jellyfish are both relics of that era that are still trucking along, mostly unchanged. But most of these creatures didn't make it into modern times. They were evolutionary dead ends. Enter Icaria wariodia, the little worm that could. Could adapt, that is. Icaria had something special going for it, a trait that set it apart from those that came before and still lives on in many of those that came after. This trait is bilateral symmetry, basically a body that has symmetrical left and right sides. That was pretty different from the other types of symmetry that organisms had at the time, which was either radial symmetry, think of the way jellyfish bodies are arranged like the spokes on a wheel, or no symmetry at all, like sponges. 
Icaria's symmetrical right and left sides also came along with a front and a back and a gut running through its body, with, of course, an opening at each end. Definitely necessary. That development of bilateral symmetry was a critical step in the evolution of animal life. It gave organisms the ability to develop more complex bodies. To understand how, imagine the evolutionary history of all animals as a roadmap. On the bottom edge of the map is a small town where all the early animals of the Ediacaran period live. Only one road leaves the town, and eventually comes to a fork. The left road heads to the town where living fossils like sponges and jellyfish live, but then it dead ends. The right road won't let you through as easily. You have to pay a toll. That toll is the evolution of bilateral symmetry. If that toll is paid, life can continue down that road, which leads to all of the cities that higher animals live in, from apes to lobsters to dogs. Icaria wariodia paid our toll. It opened the gateway to much more complex forms of life. What springs to mind when I say the word null, like N-U-L-L? I'm guessing at least one funny story comes to mind if you're a computer programmer. If not, then buckle up, because Null is the subject of our final edition of Monday Math Mishaps with Matt Parker. Matt is a stand-up comedian, YouTube personality, and best-selling author with a new book called Humble Pie, When Math Goes Wrong in the Real World. And here's what Matt told us when we asked him about Null. I mean, as soon as you say Null, a lot of programmers are like, ah, yep, Null. Because Null is used as a way to say there's no data. And so you don't put it in a zero, because zero itself is a bit of data, right? You might have you know, zero degrees or zero dollars or something. So you can't use zero for nothing. So in computing, like in databases, there's a whole new value called null. But that can backfire. So I found in the 90s at Sun Microsystems in San Francisco, they got a new employee whose name was Steve Null, like actual name. And when they went to register with HR, they put all their details in the database and then they vanished. They're like, oh, where'd they go? And they put them in again and they vanished. And they didn't realize, because they were typing in null, the database was like, oh, no data then. Or even if you, like, in modern databases, if you try and search for null, if it's not programmed correctly, you'll, you'll type in null and the computer will go, oh, you're looking for nothing, fine, and then return nothing. And it keeps happening. So even since... The book came out. I've not had a, I can't put this in the book. Oh, I might do it in the next edition. A um, software developer got the license plates, the personalized license plates in California for the word null. Their plate said null, which I thought was a very funny programming joke. However, then whenever other people were getting a ticket, but they, the license plate wasn't read properly, that was being entered as license plate null because they didn't know what it was. And so this poor person started getting all the tickets for everyone else whose plates hadn't been read at the time because they started getting all the ones for null, right? And I'm like, that's great. And so, I mean, a lot of programmers, I mean, I mean, uh, the advice is always check your code, test it before you set it live, all the usual things, which, which programmers should know, but obviously we all ignore. But I guess the, the new advice I can give is don't try and be too funny, right? Because if you put null on your license plate, you're going to get a lot of speeding fines. Once again, Matt Parker's best-selling book is Humble Pie, P-I, When Math Goes Wrong in the Real World. You can find links to pick up the book, subscribe to Matt's YouTube channel, and more in today's show notes. Let's recap what we learned today. Well, we learned you shouldn't reheat your coffee in the microwave. 
because that heats it up really fast. And the faster you heat it up, the faster chemical reactions happen to make it all gross and bitter. If you really want to heat it up, you can do it slowly over a stove, but just make a new pot. Or half pot. Or French press. Or whatever. Or pour over. Pour over. All those things. We also learned that a 555-million-year-old worm had a body that was symmetrical on its left and right sides, and that opened the gateway to more complex forms of life, like humans. Thanks, little worm. (laughs) And we learned that null means no data, because the number zero is data. And we should be careful when we use the word null, because you never know what might happen. I was actually kind of paranoid about putting the word null in the title of today's podcast episode, because now I'm like, oh no, (laughs) what if we break an app? Hopefully it'll be okay. Yeah, hopefully. Today's stories were written by Andrea Michelson and Cameron Duke and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious.